Well, the title of this morning's devotion is A Beautiful Name. A Beautiful Name. You see, naming a child can be difficult. It's not as difficult as birthing a child. It's not as difficult as raising a child, but it's difficult nonetheless. You see, many considerations and factors go into selecting a child's name. Some parents agonize over this more than others. Sometimes the issue is that you'd like to have a family name. How many of you in the room here this morning have a family name? Okay, don't be shy. Show of hands. Lots of people have family names because it's sort of a tradition to keep names going in a family sometimes. But that causes some issues. That's a little bit complicated at times because sometimes you have a lot of family and then there's a lot of names. And and should you pick one, obviously you run the risk that you're going to offend somebody else who who doesn't have that name. And my parents ran into that a little bit. So when I came along, they named me Gustav, G-U-S-T-A-V. And that's that's one of my grandfather's names. So Gustav. And they thought about that though, and they thought, yet I have two grandpas. So what kind of an issue might that cause? So they gave me a middle name, Carl, which is my mom's dad's name. So Gustav for my dad's dad, Carl for my mom's dad, and then Lehman, my surname. So that's how they dealt with it. Now, was my mom's dad disappointed to be second fiddle in that chain? I don't know. I assume he was, because when their third son came along, they called him Carl. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming that made up for some, some hurts that were caused there the first time around. You can ask them about the real, the real thing there. I'm not sure, actually. I never asked them. But that's not uncommon. You can run into that within family. Sometimes maybe you're the sibling that's having a child first, and you have younger siblings that are probably going to have their own children after the fact, and maybe you scoop in there, you swoop in there, and there's this consternation that's caused by picking a name or calling your child the name that your sibling wanted to name their child, even though they don't have one yet. And we've dealt with that before too. Right, Stacia? So Dallas is named after Stacia's dad. And so other siblings had it in their minds that they would have wanted to call one of their kids Dallas. Well, it was still open and they could have. We just have to come up with nicknames. That's where all the nicknames come from, by the way. Too many people have the same name, so you've got to come up with another name to call them. This is getting off track. <laughs> but some parents really agonize about what to call their child. How does the name sound? What will other kids make of that name at school? Will the kid be picked on for it? How should it be spelled? That's a big one nowadays. How are you going to spell it? We'll come up with these creative ways to spell the same name that's been around for hundreds of years, if not thousands. Who will it offend? Sometimes you have to consider that with names. So some parents really agonize over that. Some really overthink it. I will add that some parents seem to underthink it too. Maybe you've heard the tune, A Boy Named Sue. Sorry to offend any boys named Sue out there in the audience. But you see, Mary and Joseph, they had, as we're thinking about the Christmas story, they had many challenges and trials associated with the birth of Jesus. Lots of them. And as we read through the Christmas story, you'll be reminded of some of the trials and hardships that they faced in the birth of Jesus. But you know what? Naming him wasn't one of them. You see, the name was chosen for them by God himself, the name Jesus. And it was a beautiful name. 
So we're going to take a look here briefly this morning at the biblical account of that and also the significance of Jesus' name. So you shall call his name Jesus. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading through this when we go through the whole Christmas story, but we're just going to really jump right to this, the part where Mary is told that her son's name shall be Jesus. So we're looking for Luke chapter 1, verse 30. So the angel has just told Mary that she is going to have a baby. Verse 28, let's go back to. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive... In your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. But we go back to verse 31. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a child, and you shall, you can insert you there, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, because I want you to see that the angels were not half-hearted in there. The angel, the Lord wasn't half-hearted in his communication to Mary and Joseph that they would have no say in this name. We want verse 18, we're going to pick up here with Joseph. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord again appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And, you will bring, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now that's loaded, of course. These are glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Obviously, his people, though, specifically, we're talking about some messianic promises to the nation of Israel, but it goes beyond that, as we know, that that kingdom was postponed and Christ proceeded forward with his plan of redemption that included his death, burial, and resurrection on Calvary for all of the sins of all of the world, every man, woman, and child on planet Earth, that he was that redemption, and it was through his blood and his sacrifice that we could be set free. So we know how that all plays out. We don't have time for all of that this morning. But when we talk about a beautiful name, so you shall call his name Jesus. That's the name. Why is it a beautiful name? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But it was a common name. I want you to know that first. Jesus was a very common name in the first century for a Jewish male. 
It was the common Greek version of the Hebrew names Joshua, Jehoshua, and Jeshua. And I'm probably not saying all of those correctly, but it was a very common name. And I was thinking about that. So here you have God himself select the name for Jesus. And he selects a name that is quite common. Now, doesn't that make you think of the whole circumstances of Christ's coming? I wrote down the commonness of his name seems very consistent with the humility that characterized the whole redemption plan. Think of the swaddling cloths. Think of the manger. Think of the stable. Think of the shepherds coming to greet him first. Think of the surroundings of this and how humble they were. Well, then you have a name that on one hand is a name that is above all names. A name that has been highly exalted, but not because of the name so much as because of what it represented and who it represented. Christ's deity and his, his person, his work on the cross, that as he was willing to accomplish the eternal plan, that he was then exalted to a status that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Now is it because of the name of Jesus or because what all is associated with the name of Jesus? Of course, there's a lot more that goes into that. We're not going to actually cover that passage this morning, but you could say when you talk about a beautiful name, it's, it's an exalted name now. One day every person is going to have the opportunity to be standing in front of Jesus. And every single knee is going to bow. The problem or the question is, if you wouldn't arrange yourself under or put your confidence in what Christ has done for you, if you wouldn't accept by faith his work on your behalf in this life, it's going to be too late when you bow the knee. Every knee is going to recognize that Jesus is Lord. There's not going to be any exceptions to that. It's just that if you're waiting to do that until you've already died, your time on earth has come to an end, the window that you had to make a choice about what do you think about Jesus Christ, that window has come to a close, one day you're still going to be confronted with the reality of your mistake, the reality of who Jesus is exactly. And it's going to cause you to bow your knee to him then. But unfortunately, if you don't do it in this life, if you don't choose to put your faith in, in what Christ has done for you on Calvary, and to throw aside anything else you've been trusting in, to discard any other trappings of religion, any other trappings of human effort, to any other thing on your part that's trying to supplement what was so perfect from, from what Christ accomplished, it's going to be too late. You have during this life, it's appointed unto man once to die. Today is the day of salvation. You have up until that day to make a choice. Will I accept what Jesus has done for me, he offers this free gift of eternal life that was bought by the sacrifice of him on the cross on your behalf. He offers to you eternal life if you just put your confidence in, trust in, take that gift that's being offered by simple faith, something you do in your mind. You don't have to do it in public or come forward or do anything, change anything about your life. Commit your life to God in any way, but to put your faith, your dependence, your trust in what he's done for you. You have an opportunity to do that while you're alive. You have an opportunity to do that in your seat here right now. One question that Dave often asks is, what's stopping you or what's preventing you from doing that? What's preventing you from putting all of your eggs in the basket of trusting in what Christ freely offers to you? 
It couldn't be any simpler than somebody offering you a gift and you receiving it. Many of you have already opened some presents. Some of you maybe are waiting. Some of you kids are maybe antsy, just wanting me to get done with this devotion so you can get home to those gifts. And that's okay. I hope you understand that this is more important than that. But when somebody offers you a gift at Christmas time, it's not complicated. They paid for it. You did nothing to earn it. They decided in for whatever reason, that they cared enough about you to want to give you that gift. Your only part in it is to accept it. And that's how simple the gospel message is. But in any event, one day everybody will acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he is. I would pray for you that it wouldn't be too late. I would pray that you would do that right now. But in any event, it's a common name. And it's something that seems appropriate. It seems appropriate just given all of the other humble circumstances surrounding Christ's birth. The next thing I want to get to, though, was it's a name that's loaded with meaning. It's a name that's loaded with meaning. You see, the word is a combination of Yah, an abbreviation for Yahweh, which if you've been here listening to the Deuteronomy series that we did not too long ago, you'd know that Yahweh is God's personal name. It's a name he chose for himself. He, he's in the name-selecting business. He selected the name Jesus for Jesus, but he selected the name Yahweh for himself, his own personal name. And then you combine that with the verb yasha, meaning rescue, deliver, or save. So you have God's personal name combined with rescue, deliver, or save. And the resulting meaning is the Lord saves, or Yahweh saves, or the Lord is salvation, is another way you could look at it. And when you think about Jesus, why does Jesus have that name? Why is he given that name, that the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation? Well, a a few things. One, it's a human name. It highlights his humanity. It's the name that people would call him when they were trying to get his attention. In fact, the name was used or it's found recorded over 600 times in the Gospels. And that's the record of his earthly ministry, his time on earth, those 33 years he was here. So 600 times the name is used. You know that other than the book of Hebrews, it's hardly ever used on its own again. Usually Jesus is put with Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ being his title as the the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus being his, his human name that Jehovah saves or the Lord saves. Lord referencing his deity, so Lord Jesus Christ. So as you read through Paul's letters or the epistles that come after, very often that's what you're going to see, some combination of Jesus with either Lord Jesus or Jesus Christ more often or Christ Jesus, but very often just Jesus. But 600 times just Jesus is used in the gospel to, I think, highlight that humanity, the fact that he was on earth with a name that people called him, that people referred to him by that name. And Jesus' name, it identifies in, in addition to sort of just giving him a human, a human name, a name that people could call him, it identifies his mission. See, Jesus' mission was to be the instrument or conduit of God's salvation. So the Lord saves, the Lord is salvation. In the very name is the mission that Christ had in coming to the world. See, there's, it's a loaded term in the sense of that God offers salvation. In the context of national Israel, it was an offer of temporal, physical, and spiritual salvation from the bondage that they were in, both to 
the Roman government, but also to their rejection of God himself, their own sinfulness, the bondage they were in in time to the rejection of God himself. But also the bondage they were in physically in being under the rule or under the thumb of the Roman government. So loaded in that name, Jesus saves the Lord of salvation in the context of the offer of the kingdom. That's what it would have focused on. But in the context of you and I, the focus of the name God is salvation or the Lord saves is on the provision of eternal salvation to all of mankind as the Savior of the world. See, Savior of the nation of Israel would be one thing, but he was sent into the world as the Savior of the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. You see, at each one of us in mind, as he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent him to be the satisfactory payment that would take the place where the innocent, the perfect spotless Lamb of God would take the place of the guilty so that the guilty could go free. And that's all loaded into this name, the plan of rescue, deliver, save. Remember that that verb, yasha, means rescue, deliver, or save. God rescues, God delivers, God saves. And for you and I, that's what, it, that's what the purpose of the season is as we celebrate Christ's birth, Jesus Christ's birth. But Jesus in his name is the whole mission is wrapped into that very name, and that's what in part makes it a beautiful name. You see, Jesus embodied God's salvation in his own person as Emmanuel, God, with us. You see, it speaks even when you look at the passage and you hear that Emmanuel, God with us, that that's a foretelling of what he had been called or been pointed to in the Old Testament. But see, Emmanuel speaks to the mission again, not the specific name. The specific name was Jesus, and that's a beautiful name. It's a beautiful name not by itself. If you took the name Jesus and you stripped it of any meaning, You know, the world around us likes to compartmentalize Christmas, to strip Christmas of its meaning, to take Christ right out of Christmas. But friends, what is Christmas without Christ? Yeah, it's a great song that's on, a Christmas song that gets played on Christian radio. What is Christmas if there never was Christ? You'd have nothing. You'd just have Mass which is a word that means celebration or a gathering of people. That's what you'd have. But it's Christ that puts any meaning into Christmas. God with us. You read about it. I hope you do. As you read about the time that God spent on earth in the form of, in the form of Jesus Christ being on earth, and you see how people were able to live life with him, talk with him, share a meal with him, have a conversation with him. Be healed by him. Walk with him. Talk with him. You have that same opportunity. His very spirit lives inside of every believer. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. In that sense, he's with you all the time. When he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send my spirit to come live inside of you. So on one hand, you could be jealous 
of the time that the disciples were able to spend walking and talking and communing and dining and living life with Jesus. On the other hand, you have it so much better than they had. Eventually, they had the Holy Spirit living inside of them too. But I'm talking about the time they were with him. You have him inside of you. He's with you living inside of you. So I hope we're remembering that as we think about the Christmas season. Now, when you think about why is the name beautiful? Okay, so we have a common name, a name that was loaded with meaning in, in, in terms of speaking to the mission. But why is it a beautiful name? Well, it's a beautiful name because as the only source of your salvation, the name of Jesus is indeed beautiful. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4 for our last verse that we'll read together. Acts chapter 4. Many of you have this verse memorized, but there's something, there's some value to page turning. Acts chapter 4. We're looking for verse 12. This is why the name is beautiful. Because of what it meant to you personally. You see, Jesus has a name that is stripped of any meaning, that is separated even out from the holiday season, where no one even knows what the season is all about, or if they do, it's this vague, abstract point of historical fact. Oh, I know as a, a point on a historical timeline that Christmas is a celebration of Christ's birth, meaning that at some point in history, Christ must have been born, and that's all that it is. It has no personal impact on you or personal meaning to you. What makes it beautiful is that you apply this all to yourself, that this is personal to you on an individual level. You see what Jesus meant in terms of what the mission was and what he accomplished on Calvary for you, and you accept that with personal faith. Then you have a personal spirit of God now living inside of you. But Acts 4.12 says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know, you, think, you see that that's one of the things that is most offensive about the gospel message is that it's exclusive. It doesn't allow for there to be many different ways for man to get to God or to be made right with God, put in a right standing with God. There's only one way. It's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus could say, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the door. By me, if anyone enters in, he shall be saved. You see, it's the preaching of the cross. It's offensive because it it eliminates human effort. It puts all of the focus on what Jesus has done for you, not what you can do for him. That's offensive to people because we always want to make ourselves out to be better than somebody else and put all of our confidence in what we've done for God. But the message of the gospel puts all the confidence all the focus on what he's done for us. It's also offensive, like I say, because there is no other way. And when you tell people that this is what I believe, a lot of times they'll say, well, that isn't that good for you. That's your truth. You see, that's the world we live in where everyone makes his own truth. But the Bible says there is one truth and it comes from God himself and it's been revealed to us in his word. And so there's no other way to be saved other than faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. And of course, we think about that, we see that there. There's no no salvation in any other. But there's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus that's beautiful because of the salvation that he provided. I want to end you with this. There's a lyric to a song that I don't recommend necessarily the whole song, but I do like 
like the song on a whole, but these are how the lyrics go, and this is frankly how I got the title for this devotion, A Beautiful Name. It says this, You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, but your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to his. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. Thank you for this opportunity that we've had to get together to celebrate who you are and what you've done for us, the meaning of the season. Pray that that would be fresh in our minds as we go about the rest of our family gatherings and go about the rest of the holiday season, that we wouldn't forget how blessed we are to have had your indescribable gift offered to us. Pray that we would each receive that gift by faith. Thank you for your gracious love for us, that you would do for us what we didn't deserve, and pray that we would just accept that, that we would put our trust and confidence in what you've done for us. Pray that we would then know that we have eternal life because we would see that it had nothing to do with us, that our certainty has nothing to do with pride. It has to do with the recognition that it's all you. And if you're the faithful, everlasting God and you've made promises, then we can have absolute assurance that they'll come true. And when you said that you'll never let us go, we could take that to the bank. When you said that we'll have everlasting life, we could take that to the bank. When you said you would seal us into the day of redemption with your spirit, we could take that to the bank. Pray that we'd have no fear of life or what comes after life because we would know that it's going to be spent with you. Thank you again for this time we could spend in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.